0: this is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now today, we're talking about the idea of, quote, overcoming disability. This is a phrase I heard quite a bit after the death of Stephen Hawking. A lot of folks were talking about how it was so great that he was able to, quote, Overcome his disability to achieve something great. I kind of couldn't help thinking that this whole idea left a really rotten taste in my mouth. Yeah, it was
1: it was a heavy sigh. It was a heavy sigh moment for me as well. Um, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of Stephen Hawking. That's I read one fiction book and one science book I alternate. And I went through all of his books, and I usually had to reread them twice <laughs> because it's it's dense. It's dense. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about specifically today.
0: <laughs> I mean, it kind of is because he is someone who, I mean, his disability was a big part of who he was, and he was very vocal about that. And so— You know, when you're reading someone's contributions, like he's talked about how he doesn't feel shame around being disabled. And that seems to be something that plays out in his work, I would say.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, And some numbers for you here. There were nearly 40 million Americans with a disability in 2015, representing 12.6 percent of the civilian non-institutionalized population, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. But how often— do you see that in our media?
0: Um, not that often at all. We actually don't see nuanced depictions of disability in the media really at all. When you see someone who's disabled in a movie or on TV, either A, they're so tragic and they hate their lives and, you know, nothing good ever happens to them, or B, they only kind of exist to make the able-bodied person feel good. And so you're only really experiencing their situation Via an able-bodied person, and one of the ways that I I really sort of have a problem with this that it plays out is this idea of quote inspiration porn, where it's these promposal, beep, where it's these videos where an able-bodied person will ask a disabled person to prom, and the subtext is, oh, that's he's so brave, that's yeah. so big of him, like what a what a good person, what a good person, and then. You feel like a good person when you watch it because you're connecting with the person who is doing the quote like brave act of charity, right? But when you break that down, it's actually really insulting because what you're saying is an able-bodied person couldn't possibly just want to go to prom with someone who's disabled. You know, yeah. it's like it's like a it's like an insult when you unpack it.
1: Yeah, it really is on a much lesser, much much lesser uh, scale. <laughs> My junior year, this guy asked me out. I will say probably out of pity, and my mom thanked him in front of all all of my classmates as if he had done this grand gesture just <laughs> to do me the honor of asking me out because no one else was going to, let's face it, Bridget.
0: Yeah, I mean, couldn't he just want, like, what your mom was really saying is that anyone who would take you out is doing an act of charity. Yeah. That's is true. Yeah, and again—
1: this is a very minor thing compared to what we're talking about today, but I felt terrible. I felt really bad. Oh, my goodness, I guess. Like, my value was less.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Nobody wants to be somebody else's charity case. Nobody wants to feel like they're, you know, someone is spending time with them or doing something with them as an act of charity or to make themselves feel good. And again, why that's so problematic is because it totally it it's just almost invalidates the the agency of the other person, right? So like people aren't asking the disabled person how they feel about this experience. You're only experiencing it through the lens of the able-bodied person, and that's not okay. It's completely taking away folks' agency. After this quick break,
1: we'll be joined by Annie Alaney, another Annie, but this one spelled a little bit differently than me. She is a YouTuber, a writer, artist, speaker, and advocate. Her video on why saying someone, quote, overcame their disability was super helpful in our understanding of why this perhaps well-meaning sentiment can actually be limiting.
0: Annie, I am so, so glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: So, you know, we live in kind of a depressing world where I feel like folks are thirsting for sort of uplifting content on social media. But do you ever feel that people with disabilities are kind of used as, I don't want to say inspiration porn, but inspiration porn where, you know, a, a, a seemingly heartwarming story goes viral on social media and everyone is supposed to swoon, but actually when you break it down, it's actually a little bit gross? Right.
2: Um, well, that's actually, I don't know if you— uh we're aware or not, <laughs> or if you just um, stumbled upon the word. But, so, yeah, inspiration porn is actually a coined term by uh, disabled activist Stella Young. Um, she brought it up the first time in her TED Talk. What was it called? I think it was called um, I Am Not Your Inspiration, or something along those lines, um, about how, like, she, as a disabled child, would kind of, like, get these certain... Glamorized participation awards for stuff that maybe she didn't even participate in. Um, and she could tell that it was because of her disability. Um, so inspiration porn, I want to like try and like smash it into a small compact definition. It's essentially when, um, in, in a narrative, right? In a disabled person's narrative, a disabled person is being objectified for the, quote, inspiration of the non-disabled gaze or the abled gaze. Uh, So this happens a lot with, like... (laughs) um, uh, I see it a lot with, like, stories of disabled people being asked out to prom and even, and you know, those promposals that go viral and things. And it may not even be the most glamorous or viral-worthy uh, prom proposal It's just the fact that a disabled person was asked to prom and people start crying and all these things. And I have difficulty understanding that reaction to a degree. I can understand that people think that it's sweet to do nice things uh, for people, sure. But also, I think that if people kind of really took a took a moment to think about what they're feeling and why it's typically because they have a certain bias about disabled people and certain assumptions about disabled people and so for them it may be very surprising that somebody would ask a disabled person at the prom and it would be for pity or for kindness and not because they genuinely want to be with them and um, which is a messed up assumption to make. <laughs> um, uh, that That is inspiration porn. That is objectifying disabled people for their own uh, inspiration, for their own jollies, for their own good feeling that they get for themselves. I think that's kind of where it comes from. They use the word porn specifically because um, it's kind of like a jerking off situation there. It is. Uh, it, it's for their own feel goods without really without really thinking about what it is that they're enjoying themselves to. Does that make sense?
0: Definitely. And I think I mean I think the use of the word porn is so telling because it really is not about the disabled person. It's really about an able the able-bodied gaze feeling good like, "Oh, I just watched a video of a, a disabled person being asked out to prom." The able bodied person, that must be so big of them. Like, they're such a good person, and I'm a good person for feeling good at watching it. Like, everybody is getting off on feeling good, and no one is thinking about this actual disabled person and what that experience is like for them.
2: Yeah, their actual autonomy, and like, you know, did they consent to go viral and things like that? Uh, It's not just like proposals are like my big example, but like, it goes for. You know, there was like a news story about an autistic um, young man who got a job at Starbucks, and that went viral. And I'm like, "Why? Why <laughs> Is it a viral story that a disabled person got a job? i I honestly, honestly don't understand that. Shouldn't the story be about job inequality for disabled people? Uh, how can we make jobs more accessible for them uh, like shouldn't those be the stories that we're reading not oh good on this one guy who hired a disabled person pat on the back cookies for you trophies for you i i don't I don't see <laughs> what's so great about someone doing you know the most basic decency the most basic equality that should be already normalized, but isn't. Um, and, you know, and I already, I can already hear the, you know, the comeback for that. Like, well, it's not normalized yet, so we should be rewarding it whenever we see it. Um, sure, but that's not the conversation. We're not, nobody's even trying to normalize it. They, sens- they they sensationalize it every time. So, So that's not really valid either. You can't say we should reward it in order to normalize it when you're not trying to. You're just sensationalizing it whenever you see it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction because if you're talking about normalizing it, wouldn't normalizing it showing the reality that a lot of disabled folks are up against an ableist world that does not, you know, afford them the same opportunities and afford them, you know, the same basic things that we take for granted isn't wouldn't if we're talking about normalization it seems to me that we should be reflecting this very serious reality, and that an, a, an autistic young man getting a job at a Starbucks—it may be, it may fill people with warm fuzzies for some reason—but the reality is that people with dis- disabilities they're often, you know, saddled with this unfair ableist society that doesn't afford them the, these these opportunities all too often, and that that reality is right. more, perhaps more difficult to show, and it, maybe it doesn't give anybody warm fuzzies, and you don't walk away from that feeling, you know, like you've done something good, or that you're a, a you know, a quote-unquote good person, but that, that's the actual reality, but we're not showing that. We're showing the part, the one that gives warm fuzzies to people who watch it on YouTube.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, just to reiterate what I said, is just then, if if your idea of rewarding them is sensationalizing them, the person who did the hiring, right? Because, because Notice how we'll never, (laughs) in these stories, really hone in and talk to the disabled person about how they feel about whatever's going on. It's always about the person who hired them or the person who asked them out. Um, It's always about, you know, because people view any kindness or equality that a disabled person gets as charity, right? And so then this charity should be rewarded. But if we are really serious about it, about, you know, humanizing a disabled person, giving, their, giving them their autonomy, um, we should be talking to them first. And then we should be, t- you know, asking ourselves these questions and and turning these questions into action. We should be talking about job inequality. We should be talking about accessibility. We should be talking about why is this a story? Why is it? Headline news that a disabled person got a job, or that maybe they got asked out to prom. Why is that news? Um, and how? And how do we fix the fact that it's news? How, how do we create a more equal society where this isn't a headline? This isn't um, shocking to people anymore. Um, and, and so far, you know, that is not the mainstream conversation. The, con- the it ends at. Let's pat the person on the back who did the quote charity that, you know, asterisk isn't really charity.
0: Totally. So I actually found your video that I love. If folks haven't seen it on YouTube, they should definitely check it out. Your video on the the idea of, quote, overcoming disability. So after Stephen Hawking died, I saw so many kind of— I assume, well-meaning stories about how he, quote, overcame his disability and went on to be great. And I even saw this image that I think, I would say, went viral, where it's Stephen Hawking, it's his chair kind of in the background, and he is standing, walking sort of into the cosmos. And kind of, I mean, I get what they are trying to depict in this image, right? Like, in the afterlife, he he can walk, and he doesn't need his chair and all of that. But when you actually think about that, it's really a super problematic sentiment that you know would, would depict somebody in the afterlife that way. I, I really, I really, I, I was surprised to see that image go viral. Clearly, it connected with people for some reason, but I was really surprised to see that image sort of all over the place.
2: Yeah, well, I can I can very easily tell you what people connected with, and it, again, it's this objectification of disabled people that they, especially wheelchair users. People think it's very telling that the, the word people used over and over and over again was that Stephen Hawking is now free of his wheelchair, um, implying, you know, what they firmly believe, which is that a wheelchair is a trap and um, a wheelchair is a cage. Um, and so that was really the big part that was very upsetting was, was that language, too, was, was freedom. And... There was a lot of elements that were problematic, sure, about the image. Because also, from what I understand, Stephen Hawking was also an atheist (laughs) and didn't believe in, like, being a human form in the afterlife anyway. He said that we would just become stardust. That's what his belief was, right? So this this painting of, like, him in a human form walking away from his wheelchair, like, that's not even... Respectful to his beliefs, either. Um, but he, as a person, you know, didn't really talk about his wheelchair as a trap. He 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 talked about his disability in in a way that um, wasn't absolutely proudful, but uh, you know, proud of it. He 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 would say that he wouldn't have made as many discoveries as he did and know what he know what he knew. And learned what he did, if it weren't for his disability. Um, He wouldn't be who he was without his disabilities. Um, But people want to cling on to this idea (laughs) that disability is the end. So much so that one of the most brilliant people on the planet was disabled. And they couldn't wait two seconds after he died to erase his disability from his story. To say, oh well, you're dead, so you're not disabled anymore. Would we do that with like any other identity, right? <laughs> Be like, you're dead, so you're not gay anymore. <laughs>
0: like, you're would finally we do free. That to
2: any, <laughs> to any other identity like that?
0: Yeah, you're right. People would not depict, you know, a, a, another kind of marginalized person, like a black person, a gay person, as being free in in the afterlife. And yeah, it's even even in death. He, it's like double disrespectful because people were taking up taking it upon themselves to kind of crap on his personal understanding of you know what happens when you die and being ableist while doing it. it's like a double it's like a double whammy
2: yeah it was uh, it, it was really bothersome and and it, and it is a complex conversation right like people like people got real sensitive about it like I so my disability I have a chronic illness a degenerative, Disease, um, similar to Stephen Hawking, something that like can you know uh, really slowly take away my abilities as I get older, uh, which is EDS, um, and uh, so and it, and it causes a lot of chronic pain too. So people got you know they took it personally and they're like, well, I would hope my disability is chronic pain, and I would hope that in death I'm not in pain anymore. I'm like, this is not. This is not invalid. Like, that, that's totally valid. Um, these are very complex conversations, right? It's not just, you know, one size fits all about these things. And everybody's going to have different beliefs. Talking about the afterlife is so hard. <laughs> like, everyone has different beliefs and different fears, you know? Um, and uh, so it's, it's not going to be one size fits all for everybody, but... In regards to Stephen Hawking specifically, he was very vocal about what he believed and he was vocal about how he felt about his disabilities and it really, like, was just astonishing as a disabled person to see what an impact he, a disabled person, made and that the moment he died, people wanted to erase that aspect of him. Mm. Um and 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 visualize him as a completely different person you know like that's that's kind of scary they're like he he was a marvelous person just as he was and people wanted to you know like reanimate him into something that he wasn't for what? that's that's the good question why why when he died did they feel the need to reanimate him into something that he wasn't? Um, And that's something everybody should just sit with on their own and figure out.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, What are some other ways that people with disabilities are erased where, you know, their stories and their, like, I feel like that that, that probably happens so often where, you know, this part of someone's identity is just, Stripped away as if it's a shameful or bad thing.
2: Well, there's a couple of different ways. Um, I think I, I, I'm thinking of one person example and one and a broad example. One person example I can think of is Frida Kahlo, who you know has a giant fandom at the moment. You know, millions of people in the world are giant fans of Frida Kahlo, but many of those fans, quote unquote, don't know that she was disabled, and I don't understand how, cause like that's, you know, um, the majority of her art is about her disabilities, um, but that is the fact that a lot of people uh, don't know that. And in fact, I one of my videos um, is about that, it's called Why You Should Love Frida Kahlo, and it's based on this viral Tumblr post that went around that was titled the same thing, was titled Why You Should Love Frida Kahlo, and it had a bunch of, like, cool facts about her that completely erased the fact that she was disabled. Um, She had polio at a really young age, I believe between, like, six and eight, and so one of her legs, her right leg, was smaller than the other, so she already had difficulty walking. Then, of course, her big bus accident when she was a teenager, um, which broke... (laughs) practically, like, every bone in her body, and she dealt with chronic pain and weakness and illness and miscarriages for the rest of her life, um, having to spend most of her life lying down in bed because of the pain. Um, she, she had to make her own accessible way of painting, or which her dad created an easel for her that would, like, face down at her so she could paint while she laid in bed. Um, and this is information that a lot of people just we're not aware of. I'm like, she's one of the most famous freaking painters in the world. And people kind of just really wanted to shove her disability under the carpet and just forget that, that it happened. And I don't know how you can, you know, for me, her art and her disabilities, they're not really separable, but (laughs) people managed to do it. I, again, I, I think it's really sad that people, you know, in that way, we have like such famous, marvelous people who happen to be disabled and people just,
1: <laughs>
2: they're so scared of disability, they don't want to remember them that way. They, or they don't want to think about it. Things like that. You know, they make it very, very tragic. Um, instead of realizing that it was part of them, it was part of their experience, their, their life. It was part of their identity. Um, So it's really sad that that happens. Um, But that was just like, you know, that's just one particular example. I think that in general today, we also have people who are scared of the word disability, period, um, of the identity disabled, period, because a lot of people think that it's a bad word. Um, And it's actually such a huge umbrella, right? Like you could identify as disabled if you have mental illness, if you have chronic pain, if you have chronic illness. Um, And people are very terrified, you know, because uh, for a long time, people, I guess, they kind of equate disabled with, like, invalid, which is really gross. Um, You know, devalued, ugly, uh, definitely that, because uh, one of the common things you get as a wheelchair user is, you're too pretty to be in a wheelchair, (laughs) Um, all those things. They have some kind of weird phantom visual in their minds about what it means to be disabled. Um, So I'll personally get things like, you're too pretty to be in a wheelchair, you're too young to be in a wheelchair. Um, I'll get really rude accusations of faking my disability because I stand up from my wheelchair, which, again, as I mentioned, I have a degenerative disease, so (laughs) uh, I haven't lost my ability to walk entirely yet i can still do a few steps um for short periods of time but beyond a minute maybe five minutes at the most i need my wheelchair i can't i can't stand up for longer than than a minute or so really and every time i do stand up or do anything like um maybe squat or dance a little bit, immediately people will want to accuse me of not actually being disabled. So people have a particular idea in their heads about what that means. And so I just hope that we're moving in the direction where it becomes more neutral and people are more accepting of it.
0: Yeah, one of the things in your video that I was really struck by was this idea that particularly when it comes to wheelchair use, People think it's a binary. Either you're completely, you know, dependent on your wheelchair or you're not. And so if you, if someone sees you stand or not using it, they'll, you know, be like, oh, you're faking it. You're not really disabled. And that's not actually how disability works. But we see so few images of disability that actually reflect, you know, the, the spectrum that is disability. But, like, why? why? Why are we not showing a more realistic depiction of what it's actually like?
2: I think it, like, full circles goes back into inspiration porn. It's um, people like to think of uh, most things as binary, right? Uh, they think of sexuality as binary. You're either gay or straight. There's no such thing as bi. Asterisk, of course there is. <laughs> um, there, you know, binary genders, um, black or white people, a lot of, a lot of people don't have room in their heads for mixed race people. Um, so for a lot of people, I think it's just simpler and easier to think of it in that way. Um, but then again, a lot of it falls under media representation and the stories that people choose to tell, um, in Hollywood, in media and television, um, Disabled people don't really often get to tell their own stories. Um, it's, it's able writers writing disabled characters. And so already they think they're doing a charitable service just by writing a disabled character. But then they write the disabled character as what they believe it means to be disabled. Um, and then on top of that, not just that we get, you know, this awful misrepresentation about what it means and how life is and how we feel. Because uh, the biggest example I can give you is that the majority of like wheelchair users that exist on TV and in movies, they hate their life. (laughs) They're like the only goal I have in my life is to not be in this wheelchair. And that's pretty much just a cookie cutter like character for any, um, for any character with a wheelchair in media. Um, But then they, you know, twist the knife even further, and pretty much any time in a a movie or a TV show that you see someone stand up from a wheelchair, it's to reveal. It is to reveal that the person is faking and deceiving somebody. Yeah, that's Um, true. So far, I have never seen. I have never seen a wheelchair user stand up on TV uh, or in a movie, <laughs> just because that's what is in their ability to do. It's always with a dun dun dun, like telenovela reveal. Uh, it, uh oh, and the end, you know, it's the disabled villain trope, too. <laughs> it's, uh, she probably was disabled and now she's faking it and all this stuff. Um, it's pretty exhausting. Uh, I, I really honestly blame media for that kind of um, belief because if people, they just eat it up. They just eat it up. And, um, you know, if it, it isn't normalized in the media either. And huh, so people believe what they see. And um, so now real-life disabled people... <laughs> They get harassed, um, accused, assaulted in public if they stand up from their chair. Uh, Weirdly enough, even when you let go of your cane for a second, people will have bad reactions. Um, I had a a friend of a friend once say in front of me, yeah, I was arguing with this old man with a cane, and all of a sudden he started... uh, He raised his cane and started pointing around at things. So I guess he really didn't need that cane, huh? Uh, (laughs) This person was fired up, so I couldn't even like correct that. (laughs) And the guy was the villain in the story. So I'm like, this is such a weird moment to like have to correct that. Um, But just because somebody's waving their cane around doesn't mean they don't need it. But it was comments like that that really made me feel unsafe. Like it's like, you really you really believe in your mind <laughs> that because somebody picks up their cane or doesn't lean on their cane, pointing at something with their cane, that means they don't need it? Why? Why would you think that?
0: <laughs> and also, it's not like... It, it just shows
2: the ignorance of it all.
0: It is ignorant. And, I mean, how many people out there are faking needing a cane? It just, it sort of... It's, like, this reality that doesn't exist, right? Like, it's it's so yeah. doubling down on, I think, tropes about disability that we've seen in sh- media that we think it's real, but I don't feel like it is real.
2: It's a conversation that's very hard to have because we don't have real statistics about it, you know? Like, disability statistics are really, really hard to find, especially, like, how many people, like, are disabled in a country. Like, those statistics are so hard we we have like twenty percent of the country is is uh disabled, but what does that mean? like the truth be told a lot of people are have undiagnosed disabilities people have chronic migraines and allergies uh mental illness like uh, that are not documented on anything so so that statistic is likely a lot more than twenty percent of the country um and when it comes to statistics about faking, we just don't have any. All we can do is kind of try and trust what, what our experiences are. And that's where things get really muddy. Um, because, uh, so I have, you know, large social circles of disabled people. And so what I bring to the table in my experience and observation is how often they are harassed and accused of faking their disabilities when they are not. Um, most of them have chronic illnesses and use mobility aids to help them get around. Um, without them, they wouldn't be able to. Uh, but they're not paralyzed and, or or entirely um, reliant on those mobility aids. Um, but then if I speak with someone who is one of those angry people who is on the hunt for disability fakers, um, they'll tell me uh, in response to something like i don't think that really happens they'll say yes cuz i know a person they told me that they fake it just to just to get their um disability parking pass or whatever and all i can all i can respond with is like that's such a freaking anomaly such <laughs> so like that rarely happens and um and people can still be wrong. Unless somebody fully admits to you, to your face, says, hey, I'm faking this thing because I want this thing, then you will never know. I think somebody also said, oh, I know for sure this person is faking. I'm like, well, why? How do you know? I'm always waiting for them to tell me this person confessed to me. That is the, that is the, the answer I want. When I said, how do you know? The person said, I know that she's faking because she was using her cane. And then when she was about to miss the bus, she lifted up her cane and she ran to the bus. I said, that's, that's not, that does not mean the person is faking. I can do that too. I I could do that too. It's called adrenaline. (laughs) It's called like, I, I use a cane. Mainly for balance. Uh, my, my joints are very weak and they collapse kind of like, uh, those wooden toys that connect the joints at the, at the, uh, with a string. Basically, my joints are like thin strings. Um, so I can easily like fall down and injure myself. Um, and so while it is a risk for me to like sprint a few feet, um, when adrenaline kicks in, like if, like, um, my dog is about to get uh, injured or run into the street or something, I might do, I might risk it. I'll risk injury and, like, sprint, um, like five feet in front of me or something. Um, but I risked injury. I probably hurt myself. I probably am going to feel it in my muscles with myalgia pains later. But it doesn't mean that, that, my disability isn't real. Like, so you can't you can't even look at situations like that. Somebody hobbling and then going and then running doesn't mean that they're not disabled or that they're faking it. The only answer I'm willing to accept is somebody confessing to you that that's what's up. Because your observations they they're they're not a hundred percent foolproof evidence
1: of that. We'll pick up the conversation after a quick break.
0: And we're back. This is sort of a a larger point or a larger frustration of mine, but when people sort of appoint themselves the medical professional of a stranger, so they'll say, like, oh, you know, you are not really disabled because I saw you do X, or you know, you're you can't be you can't be healthy because you are, you know, heavier. Like I, like I don't know how we got to a place in this society where strangers will assert that they know something about your personal like medical or physical body when they don't even know you. Like who is this person who is watching someone run for the bus and then, you know making this making this this giant leap this giant claim about their body it's just I, I i will never understand it and i don't don't know how we got to this place as a country as a world
2: i i i try and figure that out too i try and i think that there's like a parallel with like beauty and status with it um i think that uh once we started cuz like once upon a time the the huge beauty narrative in our media and in advertising was: you have to be thin, whatever it takes, right? Well, oh, everything was whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Self harm, do whatever you got to do, but you got to be curvy, you got to be skinny, whatever the the body trend of the moment is. Um, and uh, very recently, it it became about health, right? You like the healthy body is the most ideal body now. Um, and and people try to play games with that wording so much. They're like, "Uh, I'm okay as long as they're healthy. And it's always very judgmental. And it's judgmental because now health is such, um, and it it always has been, but really now, especially in regards to, like, uh, beauty, like, able status, right? People are really, really judgmental because they're insecure about their own, They're insecure about where they stand in regards to their health. And it doesn't mean that they're not healthy right now. In fact, a lot of them, you know, they prioritize their health. But it's more about their insecurity about, you know, that kind of thing ever happening to them. There's, You know, for people, their biggest fear is to become fat. Their biggest fear is to become disabled. Uh, and, And it's not something they even try to hide. Like, people will see me total strangers will see me in public in my wheelchair and say to me you're so brave i would kill myself if i were you um <laughs> which is not a compliment but they poor little angels bless their hearts <laughs> think so <laughs> they think that it's a compliment um and, and it's, it's just the entire picture is just very, very sad. Um, and and it's all, that that <laughs> quote compliment is is disturbing and just such a sad reminder uh, about what people think about disability. You know, it all comes full circle. It's that people have this. Unquestioned belief system about disability. They're just ready to believe that it's tragic, that it's ugly, um, that it's the end of something. Uh, When people say something like, you're so brave because you use a a wheelchair, so uh, I've had people say, I don't know how you do it, they say, I I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, First, those kind of comments are based on misrepresentation. They they likely don't know any other disabled people in real life. All, all they know, all they have to go on is based on the movies and TV. And like I said, all those characters hate themselves because they use a wheelchair, um, which is not based on reality. I mean, sure, there might be you know, people who that does reflect their reality, but that's certainly not everyone. Um, And the second thing I have to say is that you can't say I wouldn't be able to do that if I were you or I'm not as brave as you or whatever. Um, People don't know what they're capable of until they're in it. And um, like clearly I haven't been a a wheelchair user my entire life. My abilities, I started losing my abilities um, about three or four years ago. Um, losing my ability to walk. Now my arms are, are a lot weaker as well. Um, mainly my hands. Like sometimes I have difficulty cutting food because basically all my joints are just, you know, strings or jello, just very weak, very fragile. Um, and uh, so there's been moments where it's been very scary. Um, but it's my body and my life and you just have to, you know, work with what you got. It's, it's not, I don't, I'm not like this because I'm tough or because I'm brave. It's because it's my life and, and people need to (laughs) kind of get that picture together that honestly, we're we're all probably going to be disabled at one point or another. People equate getting older becoming an elder with being disabled, right? They're like, oh, I'm going to be old. I'm going to have to use a walker. I'm going to have to use a cane or whatever. Um, so that's disability. <laughs> we're, we're all probably going to be in that space at one point or another in our lives. And it doesn't have to be such a scary thing, especially, especially if we're all you know, prepared for it in an emotional, psychological, physical way.
0: Well, yeah, that's why I love so much of what folks like yourself are doing, where you are sort of showing, hey, disability is not, you know, a dirty word. I saw this shirt on your Twitter, disabled joy. And, you know, it's a, we, we don't allow for disabled folks to be happy, love their lives. I'm thinking about this story that I, that I found out when I was researching this episode. This uh, teenager who is an author, Melissa Shang, she's 14, she wanted to write a book about a character who looks like her. She's in a wheelchair. And so she came up with this character who is in a wheelchair, who loves YouTube, who's very happy, who has a, you know, a great, happy life. And when she went to pitch this book, publishers were like, oh, people aren't going to buy, you know, she's too happy. People aren't going to buy that she's in a wheelchair and that she has a great life that she loves. Or could you make her a, like make, give her a sister and her sister isn't in a wheelchair and she is? That's a more interesting story. But what they're actually saying is we need to understand this character through the lens of somebody who's able-bodied because otherwise people's heads will explode. And if this character who is in a wheelchair is just a happy-go-lucky 14-year-old who loves YouTube and ponies or whatever, people won't buy it because she's not sad enough. And I think that really shows a lot about how we—what we think about disability and, how, and, and the stories that we're willing to sort of accept. You know, I, I was really—you know, I remember seeing wow. on Twitter um, this activist Kia Brown with her hashtag disabled and cute, right? Like, the stories that we tell mm-hmm. about folks who are disabled are so limiting, and it's like we're not we're so not comfortable with anything else. If it's not, I'm disabled and hate my life, or I'm disabled and, you know, it's awful— we just don't it's just it and I'm not saying those stories don't exist because sure they probably do like able bodied people hate their hate their lives right like but if we only allow mm-hmm. for that one that one story you know we, it's, it's all we see
2: Right. Well, if we did it to any other I'm I'm going to go back to uh like gay representation and again I'm I'm gay, I identify as queer. Um like and that's also something that we're that we're just now starting to see more of. But once upon a time in gay representation, it was just suicidal gay people <laughs> or gay people who had been victims of violence or or murdered. Um and so that was just like one one take on what it meant to be gay. It meant that you either became ill and died, um, were violently attacked and died, or you hated your life so much you committed suicide. That Once upon a time, those were, like, the only stories gay people really got to see. And now it's kind of, like, spreading into more um, and hopefully more keep coming, more happy endings, uh, more diversity in regards to LGBT representation. Um, but that is kind of... What's happening right now, I think, with stable representation, is like people are only accepting this one take. And, um, you know, if you don't live in a very diverse place, if you don't have a diverse group of friends, that's all you have. All you have is what you get through the TV and the movie screen. Um, and so those are the only ways you can form opinions about groups of people. And, it, you know, it just it, it breeds prejudice with people who, you know, are only surrounded by their own communities. Um, I'm thinking specifically of, like, you know, middle America, where, like, it's not very diverse in certain spaces. Um, And, um, you know, I just, I really hope for that. I really hope that we're in a time where, like, disabled people are really starting to be heard. I hope so. It's because it's the erasure has been very, very heavy. Um, a story that I'll I'll mention sometimes is that, uh, in the same year that the pulse massacre happened, which was very, hit me very hard. Uh, pulse was a place that I used to go to all the time when I lived in Orlando, even before that. Um, and I feel like my little gay heart like grew up in that place in a way. Um, and uh, about a month after that happened, and we saw, like, you know, so many, like, large spaces, you know, light their buildings up in rainbows and support. And, like, there was, it, it was a moment where people kind of acknowledged the hatred that LGBT people face, and they wanted to show their support. They wanted to say, we know that some people out there hate you, and some people are willing to murder you. But know that you are supported and that the community has your back um, and then the following month uh it wasn't u s but it was still very vital in Japan. Um, There's a massacre, the second largest massacre Japan has ever had um, a A man went in to a disabled community home. At night, and um, massacred uh, a, a lot of them. I think that he, he ended. He ultimately murdered nineteen people, and injured, um, I think, like twenty to forty more. And it was with it was it was an ableist massacre. It was an ableist attack. He had <laughs> pre-written to Parliament that disabled people were a burden on the economy and a burden on their families and that he knew how to get rid of them and that he said that he could get rid of hundreds of them in one night um, for the betterment of the country. Uh, and then when that happened, there was no international response. There was no response period, and that like it really, really hit me again, like this was one month after pulse. I was already like in a, a in a depression from that, and then it and my depression got worse uh because of the silence we uh, the only people I saw talking about this story were other disabled people, and I kind of felt like disabled people were like. Screaming, like, look at this, look at this, look at what happens, look at how ableism kills people, and nobody cared. Um and it just felt and it just felt like nobody would care if we disappeared. And and that's the that's the that is the message that just keeps being told all the time. Again, it goes back to Stephen Hawking, right? Like he he became one of the most marvelous brilliant people on the planet and he died and the first thing people want to do is erase his disability uh people are constantly sending the message they don't want disability to exist they don't want anybody to be different they don't want anybody to um have any different needs from them or or different ways of or being, quote, weird around them or look weird for them. They would rather just us all be gone. Um, So uh, I say all that with the intention of kind of rounding up, like, that is the deep, dark space where all these kind of biases and assumptions about disability comes from the bottom line for a lot of people is that they wish that disability wasn't real. The bottom line is that a lot of people think that it is a burden and it is tragic. Um, But optimistically, I hope that that's the last time something like that happens. Not just the violence, but the lack of response. Um, I hope that the more visibility we have for disabled people, the more people will care, the more people will learn. Um, And they'll see us as actually human, as opposed to burdens, which a lot of them do.
0: (sighs) That is so real. I mean, damn. And I think it's it's the silence, right? It's this awful thing happened after Pulse, and just the silence, because it, it did barely rate. It, there was no international outcry. And I think it, it does, to me, it does come back to exactly what you just said about, you know, you whether it's the lack of, you know, disabled representation in mo- media, movies, films, or it's the silence when 19 disabled people are, are murdered. You know, the, I feel like both of those kind of come from the same space. And I think you're right. It's this discomfort. It's this we don't even want to deal with it. We don't even want to see it. We don't want to acknowledge it in any of the ways. So we've talked quite a bit about, um, you know, how folks with disabilities sort of are not well represented. Who out there is sort of getting it right? Are there content creators or films or movies where you think, I want to see more of this kind of thing when it comes to representation? Um,
2: well, first, Speechless which is a sitcom on ABC Um, is doing a really cool job. Uh, And they, they do have disabled writers on staff too. They have Zach Anner, which is a comedian actor, YouTuber. Um, it was, it was really great in the first season for the first time ever. I saw the characters use the term inspiration porn. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. (laughs) It's like getting some like visibility for like disability culture. Um, and they, like, you know, did a 101 with it. They're like, I think the disabled character um, was being used in someone's essay. And and he said, oh, great, he's using me as inspiration for it. <laughs> and somebody says, what's that? And someone responds to him, it's the objectification of disabled people to, for the feel-goods of uh, able-bodied people. <laughs> um, so I thought that was really, like, brilliant moment on television and got really they got me really excited. Um uh the Switch at Birth I heard is kind of debatable, but they had a lot of deaf actors on that show. I think anybody who was a deaf character was also deaf in real life. That was really great. Um and um I'm sure I'm, I'm missing quite a few things like there's been like uh other things, I'm, I'm a big advocate for disabled people playing disabled characters, uh, meaning, of course, disabled actors playing disabled characters. Um, because that's another bias and discrimination in the workplace that happens. Um, people will hire able-bodied people to play wheelchair users. And they don't even give wheelchair-using actors an opportunity because oftentimes their audition spaces aren't wheelchair-accessible. Like, there's no elevator into the, the audition room. Um, so that's another, that's another workplace discrimination thing that happens. Um, and besides that, you know, I think, you know, people creating their own original content is a beautiful thing. So I think YouTube is a beautiful thing. Um, there is, uh, Jessica Kelgren hayes on there, um, who, she does a really great job at, uh, you know, showcasing her life as, um, a disabled lesbian. Uh, she also has, um, a connective tissue disorder and POTS, so very relatable for me. Um, also, Chronically Jackie is doing the chronically ill Reality show of our dreams. She produces a video every day, uh, of her life with chronic illnesses. And she is one of the only times I get to see, you know, on video, somebody who is like me, who like uses a wheelchair, but can walk around a little bit still and, and things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm just hoping, you know, Internet content creation is kind of small in relativity to, you know, mainstream media (laughs) like Hollywood or television, Um, but it's still big enough that I truly believe that it can make an impact. So, for now, the, the real true, like, heroes for me are the people that are creating their content on websites like YouTube.
1: Um, in your video, you talk about how the language of overcoming disability sometimes pits disabled people against each other. Can you explain that a bit to us?
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, Jesus, I took seven minutes to say all that <laughs> in my video. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so overcoming disability—in uh, short, I don't like it because it it implies that. Um, Whatever is being done, uh, with a disability, that action and the disability are mutually exclusive, which, if you're using the term overcoming disability, that is clearly false. It's a oxymoron that you just did. Um, but the other way that is, that is used is people who, um, you know, rehabilitate or recover from something, um, uh, specifically it'll be used in regards to, like, a doctor saying, oh, they'll never um, do this action. Or, Let's just say, oh, they'll never walk again. Um, and then look at him now, he's walking. Prove that doctor wrong or whatever. And um, people will use stories like that, of, like, these, quote, miraculous uh, recoveries Um to put pressure on other disabled people to do the same thing, um, and that'll come from like family, friends, um, our our bosses, anybody. They're like, if if this disabled person can do it, why can't you? Um, and the implication there is that you are you are lazy if you don't try as hard as that person to not be disabled anymore, Um, which all that is very toxic because it's not going to be the same for everyone. And also sometimes doctors can be wrong. (laughs) Sometimes doctors say this person's never going to walk again, see again, whatever um, is the case at the moment. And they are just wrong. It's not some kind of miracle. It's not because the person tried harder than other people. Sometimes they're just wrong, and things change. Um, And it it also just introduces us to um, the, the belief that people have that if you are not trying to not be disabled, then you're not worthy of anyone's time. Then you are a lazy person, You are a burden to them because you're not trying hard enough to not be disabled anymore. Um, (laughs) Which is so toxic. Some people just, they're disabled and that's it. Like, sorry. They're they're not going to change. They're not going to get, quote, better. Um, And instead of inviting them to hate themselves for it, it would be much healthier to, you know, accept what's going on. Not to, not to give up on your health necessarily. That's not what I mean either. But accept what's going on. Try to enjoy your life anyway. And and do what you got to do. I think. So I have again, RP, a degenerative disease, um, and I'm very accepting of where my body is at while it's there. I, I do continue to push my body and push my limits and I focus on my health, um, as best as I can, but I won't hate myself for being sick. Um, and I won't hurt myself just to prove that I, that, that I'm capable of certain things. Um, I have to, I have to care about myself and I have to love myself and love my life. Um, no matter what it looks like, no matter what's going on, I just have to find—I have to find the gratitude uh, and the acceptance of that moment. But again, because of ableism, people would rather pressure disabled people to no longer be disabled and tell them that it's their failure if they're unable to accomplish that.
1: Right. I think there's this weird mentality of if I did something, if I worked this hard to do whatever, then you can too. Like, like what you said earlier about being lazy, that there's this perception of laziness, which is completely wrong and totally ignorant.
2: I mean, especially in regards to like invisible illness too. Like a lot of people just have trouble believing uh, how fragile my ligaments are because of my appearance. I'm like a a thicker, uh, maybe chubby, uh, le- a brown woman and a tall woman. And so when I walk around, like, I think I probably have the appearance of someone who's like young and strong. But the truth is that I have the fragility of what, uh, some would assume would be of a like 99 year old woman. Um, which is ageism, by the way, because not all elderly people are disabled. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, I think it's hard to look at people with invisible illnesses and remember, like, what, what their experiences are. And then sometimes it's not remember, sometimes it's just to believe. Sometimes people just don't believe. Um, what's going on inside your body, and that's really scary. I I think it's really scary as a person that's fragile and sick and doesn't really look like it on the outside. um, It it then creates an environment where people have really high expectations of my abilities, and I have to constantly let them down or um, feel forced to push my limits and harm myself because of those expectations. Um, because, uh, because personally, um, I, I feel pressure once I make a commitment to something, and so I will I will push myself beyond my limits. I will probably harm myself just to complete that commitment. But uh, I do wish, in my personal life, <laughs> that like people would have more consideration for that. But people can't consider those things if they forget. Your condition, or if they don't believe in your condition. So, all that's really hard. Mm.
0: Annie, thank you so, so much for being here today. Where can folks find out more about all the cool things you're up to?
2: Um, well, I am online everywhere as Annie Elaney. Um, that's A double N I double E L A I N E Y on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. And I am Annie Sagara on Facebook. Um, and, uh, that's it, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how instrumental your YouTube videos have been for me when I was feeling, again, kind of grossed out about that Stephen Hawking stuff we were talking about earlier in the episode. Your videos just nailed how I was feeling. So if you haven't seen any videos, definitely check them out because they are amazing.
2: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, definitely overcoming disability was a little bit of a subtweet about all that Stephen Hawking
0: stuff, too. (laughs) I loved it. Well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I had a good time. Well, that was a really
1: enlightening conversation, and I am so glad we got the chance to talk to Annie about this, and I really hope that we'll see more of these diverse stories Soon. Um, and I hope that you listeners enjoyed that conversation as well. And we would love to hear from you. You can find us at Stuff Mom Never Told You on Instagram or at Mom Stuff Podcast on Twitter. Or you can always send us an email, Mom Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com.